unexplainable things happen all the time, at any given time. It's completely random and, well, unexplainable or unexpected. These viewers sent in their allegedly true, unexplainable moments with the paranormal, the world of the cryptids, and just unexplainable moments with human beings. As always, be sure to slap that like button as it helps me out a ton, subscribe if you're new as I upload brand new videos multiple times a week, and get ready for these creepy and allegedly true unexplainable horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. Found and Lost by Theo Plesha I don't have a lot of time to get this all typed up and out there. I barely escaped, and they're looking for me. I hope this gets out. If you see it, make sure it goes viral so people know what's really happening. I was the foreman working on Thorngrove, the new elementary school site. I'm going to try to explain this in a way that makes the most sense because it barely makes any sense to me. We were doing shift change and headcounts as the graveyard crew left and the morning crew came on. Shane, the night shift supervisor, was having the same problem I was. Some folks weren't showing up when they were supposed to. My problem was less interesting since we got no calls, no shows all the time, but he was having a difficult time locating people on the site. He was blurry-eyed from the night and I was frustrated because time was just getting wasted. Eventually, we got distracted by some commotion on the far end of the site. We started to trot over to where the yelling was coming from. Then Shane rushed up his huge cargo pants and started spilling excuses about trying to settle his daughter down and get her off to school after she lost her beloved stuffed animal. I told him we'd talk about it as my trot became a full-on dash as a cluster of five night shift guys were hauling over metallic containers, roughly the size of a 30-quart chest cooler. For all I knew, it was the freaking Ark of the Covenant. Shane and I called for an order while the workers tried to explain what they had found. They said they hid it with their backhoe bucket shuffle. I didn't believe them because the object, though dirty, looked completely intact and the tines on the bucket would have certainly pierced the strongest metal cooler, unless of course it was solid titanium, which it couldn't be since only two men were able to haul it off well over 50 yards seemingly without issue. While I tried to settle them down, the backhoe operator tossed down two dirt-encrusted prongs of metal. I instantly recognized them as the metal tines of the backhoe bucket. This object now had my complete attention. They brushed away the dirt on all sides and although it was silvery like metal, it had more of like a graphite dullness and shapelessness to it. The sides bore no sides of the impact from the shovel and no markings of any other kind. Construction gloves wiped the top clear in sections, the top part red. Thorngrove Elementary School Discovery Expansion 2052. One of the workers immediately gasped and said it was a time capsule not to be opened until 2052. Another worker pointed out that it was possibly for a new school they were building, and then Shane chimed in that it was probably an expansion that wasn't in the plans quite yet. One of the workers pointed out the lack of seam or any kind of latch to open this thing. He flipped over the impervious metallic crate. It seemingly moved with ease. He brushed off the bottom which read, Thorn Grove Elementary School Discovery Expansion 2052. 
Do not open until 2102. One of the workers who stood with his arms crossed over his chest and his wrap-around sunglasses reflecting the morning sun shook his head, saying it had to be a prank. It would have been one hell of an expensive prank, though. It would have been made out of some sort of experimental graphene material to do what it did to the backhoe and remain intact. Either it was an elaborate prank or we're looking at a time capsule, but one from the future. Shane argued his men should open it, but as I already mentioned, the box was solid all the way around, with only markings on the top and bottom. That's when the worker who came in late, Peter Red, took out his phone and started to take pictures. As he circled the box and the other men crowded around, it must have triggered the auto flash on his phone's camera and something about the flash triggered the box. The top of the box seemed to slither off in quarters onto the four corners, revealing a soap bubble-like membrane separating the contents from the open air. The best analogy I could make about the technology and how the capsule opened was that it was unsealed and globed away, like the liquid metal Terminator from Terminator 2. The cooler was filled with all kinds of strange objects. There was something that looked like a Rubik's Cube married to some sort of disc ball roughly two inches cubed. There was a collection of four cylinders made of material that seemed to be translucent. It's hard to really explain, you know? Each of these things were labeled H2O and ATMOS. I can only guess they were air and water samples from the future. There was a device that vaguely looked like headphones but looked narrower. Like it might grip onto someone's neck. I could make out the snowflake symbol on the two pads and I speculated that maybe it was some kind of personal air conditioner. There was a circular item that bore a passing resemblance to a pacifier, but the mouthpiece was hollow, with two short hoses that separated out into a lima bean shaped pad that looked like a combination of an earbud or a foam ear protector. Thoughtlessly, one of the workers reached through the membrane and started to grab the various objects out. One by one, the unusual devices were grabbed or spilled out of the membrane onto the ground and mauled by the workers until the capsule was empty. Then Shane grabbed the box and seemed to lead a mass exodus off the property. We, we didn't even make it halfway through the parking lot. Some sort of armed forces in black and silver uniforms swamped us. They were clad in some sort of armor, motorcycle-like helmets and reflective visors and respirators. One of them had a red stripe on his chest, and I instantly recognized him as an officer because his head was twisting back and forth. I couldn't hear them communicating, and I assumed somehow they had sealed communication links between them. The officer's helmet, visor, and respiratory gear turned mostly transparent. His eyes were locked with mine, and he started to bark some sort of command. He told us to remain calm and still that he was declaring a possible biohazardous incident and we couldn't leave until we were cleared. For men who fought their way into diners during COVID lockdowns and, and thought they won the lottery with tech from the future, this didn't sit well. They started shoving and darting away for a different way out. The officer shouted a command, Have your way, narcomententum. Two of his troopers raised and fired a grenade launcher into the air. The shells split into multiple ping-pong-sized ball spheres that popped like fireworks, dousing us with a white powder that knocked us out cold. All of the crew, Shane, Peter, the five others, and I woke up shivering and in pain in an orange tent with bright lights overhead and the sound of rushing air. The entrance of the tent was guarded by two heavily armed guards, 
We were separated from them by a thin inner section of the tent with a transparent airlock liner that reached most of the way around the tent. There were a series of cameras with a sort of reddish spotlight on them. They were periodically scanning over us and relaying medical information like heart rate and O2 levels to a series of monitors on the other side of the airlock. A voice came over a non-existent loudspeaker. It asked us to slowly regain our feet and to take the pills on the table in the middle of the tent if we were feeling anxious or achy. It explained that we were subjected to a fentanyl-based knockout agent similar to what the Russians used in the Moscow Theater Siege, and Narcan was used to revive us but the whole experience could result in uncomfortable side effects which the pills could relieve. All of us started to shout to someone to tell us what was going on. The voice said the officer in command would be with us shortly. Indeed, the officer stood in the monitoring section of the tent with his face revealed to us. Something about the material the tent was made of revealed that the face he was displaying was of a false image, which made sense to me because this was some sort of ultra-secret operation. But the fact that no one was actually showing their faces made me feel better about my chances of surviving. In heist movies, you were dead if you showed your face, or whoever saw it was dead. There was no in-between. The officer explained that we had discovered an anti-chrono artifact, basically an object for reasons not explained to us that travels backwards in time. The nature of the artifact and its time period now breached by us had biological considerations. Future strains of the flu, future strains of COVID, future strains of the common cold, or even future novel viruses altogether we may not have even discovered. They were required by code to hold us until any pathogens could be identified and determined if they were infected. Under no circumstances could we leave until that process was complete, because the future of humanity was at stake, allegedly. He assured us that the tent was inescapable and he would not risk letting us go after our first reaction. He said the tent was constructed around us with virtually no contact between us and his men. They told us to stay put, and hopefully we'd make it out alive. We waited for hours. It was probably around noon when the officer came back and addressed me, me specifically, by name. He insisted he would speak to me. The officer told me something that I still don't fully understand. He said the time capsule was an anti-chrono artifact and was shielding regular chrono effects essentially carrying them back in time, so long as they remained within the capsule. The capsule's exterior was set to .000001 standard units, which he relayed to me as it would, or in this case should, have only intersected with our perceivable present for one hour. He sighed when he said that none of this should have happened, and none of this would have happened if my men had dug in that area about one minute before or about 60 minutes after shift change. The capsule would have been in our future by 60 minutes still, or our past by the smallest unit of time. Either way, it would not have been there the time we were digging. He continued by saying that something had gone wrong because the time capsule had not disappeared from our present. He said it was stuck, and it was because the time capsule was missing something. Something his men didn't manage to collect while we were on the ground and before the isolation tent went up. He reiterated that, as of now, we had some time. He believed the capsule was stable in our time for at least another hour, but after that he said that something bad was going to happen. He said something like Hitler could win World War II, I could never be born, or the Big Bang Theory might not happen at all. Everything could potentially disappear because something, 
in that case needed to keep going back in time. He told me he believed I could figure out and talk to whoever was holding something and maybe get them to surrender it. In the meantime, the officer told me he was running temporal correlations to the incident facets and there was no guarantee they would produce results in the time allotted. He suggested I start asking people with connections to the area, specifically this field before it became the construction site for the school. The alternative was that he'd kill us all and risk contaminating himself to find the object. He said as far as the world, the public, and our families outside of the construction site were concerned, they were informed that there was a hazmat accident on site and that the area was off limits with unknown casualties. Yet he suggested I take any action I deemed necessary to keep it that way. As the officer left, I turned around to see my employees, my family, huddled on the other side of the tent. They lifted their heads and stared me down with suspicion. I respected them. I had been to some of their homes and even met most of their families. We played softball together and spent at least one solid 4th of July getting drunk together. I went to Peter's first child's funeral and was sort of close with his surviving daughter, Maggie. It occurred to me, though, that Peter was a newcomer to the area and had moved here for the project. My suspicions fell on Shane, who had lived here his whole life, but as I thought about it then, I wasn't sure how being local mattered. I gave everyone the cliff notes about what the officer had told me. I omitted certain details, chief among them was the alternative. I was met by loudness, mostly things I would have said. Who are these guys, really? Who does something like this? How can you even travel back to the past? The experts say a lot of things, etc. I let them exhaust themselves a bit before I straight asked them if anyone kept something they shouldn't have from the box. I reiterated the disease aspect that if they'd surrendered it now, we could all probably get out of here. I turned to Shane. He told me not to look at him. I told him I had reason to believe he had it. Whatever it was, he swore he only grabbed the capsule itself, and by the time he did, it was empty. It was then that one of the workers, Max, stepped up and yelled that if they wanted it so bad, they should come in and take it. He got applause from two others, including Peter. I told him this wasn't about that. That didn't stop Mac and Peter from taking swings at me. Shane and the other three then came and pushed them down and away. When the scuffle was said and done, there was a beanie baby-like toy on the floor. It was in the shape of a dachshund. I picked it up and Peter immediately came over to me and tried to look surprised. He said it was his daughter's stuffed animal that she lost, and he must have had it in his cargo pants the whole time. He tried to play it off like he found the toy she lost. I was about to hand it back to him when the stomach opened up and revealed a pouch. Beaming out of the pouch, in the eyes was a bright light and a message that read, Dad, I finally found it. I wish every single day I made a bigger fit that morning. Love you, Dad. Maggie. I held it for a second and tried to play it off like I hadn't seen the message. Something clicked in my mind, though. Something like when you know you have something horribly gone wrong, like, or if you have, like, beat somebody in poker really bad, but you don't want to show your excitement. I was about to ask Peter if he had been up here before, but I remembered when I brought him on, he said he used to bring his kids to the park nearby where the school was being built, and he was excited to move his family here and have a brand new school for them. Shortly afterwards, his son died. I realized that if... I kept going back in time. There was a chance someone in the past might have encountered it and taken something. Something like a stuffed dachshund with an eyeball hologram tech out of it. And maybe kept it. Why didn't it destroy the universe then? 
I wasn't so sure, but because of that, and I think that's entirely what happened, if it wasn't returned now, it would destroy the universe I was currently in because it would never make it back. It would still be here. I gripped the stuffed animal tightly and tossed it into the mini airlock and sealed it. The medical tech came by with a capsule and made the transfer and carried it out, presumably to be reburied and disappeared from our present and our future. I was bracing myself for Peter to come after me taking his daughter's toy, but instead, I saw Peter break down in tears as he slid down to the end of the tent, sobbing. Then it hit me. Dad, I finally found it. I wish I made a bigger fit that morning. Love, Maggie. In the future, Maggie would be affiliated in some way with the school's expansion product and the time capsule. The toy she recovered from the park as a younger child was finally made in the future, and she put that message into the capsule. But it was right on time. It couldn't have happened any other way. In under two hours, we were released from the quarantine monitoring tent, except Peter. Officially, the hazmat incident was us encountering a pocket of hydrogen sulfide gas while digging. All of us survived, except for Peter. We were compensated for the incident with the stipulation that we never discussed it. Doubts flooded my mind along with tears. It all started to break down in my head. I was guilty, so I started telling Peter's story, and now they're after me. I hope, if nothing else, people know the story of Peter. Skinwalker in Northern Oregon by Death Raptor Gaming Now, this isn't my first encounter here, but I'm glad I have a community to share it with to get their thoughts as even my scientifically-minded and rational fiancé came up short when I explained what I heard to her. These memories were brought back after I sent in experiences with the hound where I live. I'll start by saying that I'm an 18-year-old male who has encountered the supernatural since I was 8 years old, and I've had at least one experience every couple of years, so I've determined there must be some sort of cycle. I've already sent in my most recent encounter with a possible hellhound, which happened much earlier. This was back in November of 2022 when I visited a campground in Garibaldi, Oregon, on the coast with my choir class for a weekend excursion to get to know our classmates better. Our camp had two large story group cabins, several trails, a mess hall with a basement, and other amenities. I will not disclose the camp's name, but if you've been there, you've been there. The first day and night of the excursion went incredibly well. With us getting to know each other, me having horrible luck asking out the girl I liked, and overall having a good time with my friends. However, things changed dramatically when the sun went down. The atmosphere shifted, making everything eerie and unsettling. I didn't experience anything on the first night, but I was still very nervous. I'll quickly add here that me and my classmates had not seen a single animal during the entire trip, not even birds or squirrels, which was already bizarre. The next day was pretty typical, with our class going through all of our scheduled activities as the day went on. Dinner rolled around, and before I knew it, everyone was back in the cabins and turning in for the night. However, I couldn't sleep for some reason. I decided it would be best to step outside onto the second-story balcony to help take my mind off things. The dread was already coming back, as well as the feeling of eyes on me. The night was also deathly quiet, with only crashing waves on the beach accompanying me. 
but soon enough that wasn't the only sound I was hearing. The sound came from the forest that ran parallel to the field that was divided by two cabins. It caused my body to immediately go into fight or flight and a chill ran down my spine. The sound in question was my voice coming from the tree line. Come here. I want to show you something. Whatever, whatever this thing was was trying to mimic my voice but it sounded slightly off, like it had been recorded and played back. I initially thought it was just a figment of my imagination, so I rubbed my ears hoping I would not hear it again, but alas it came. Come here. I want to show you something. It sounded exactly like it did before. I noped the heck out of there remembering the many stories I've heard of skimwalkers and how they can mimic voices. I ran into the cabin, closed that door that led to the balcony, locked it, closed all the windows, and hoped not to hear anything further. After some time, I fell asleep, and probably about an hour later, I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning. I listened to a single, heavy footstep make contact with the bottom step of the metal stairs that led to the balcony. I ignored it and began blasting music into my earphones, drowning out any other noises. I hoped that would be it. The climax came on our trip's third and final night. The next day, we went through the daily activities once more, and then once night fell again, we would be spending the last night of the trip playing Assassin, basically hide-and-seek in the woods. Before we got together to play, a decent-sized group of classmates and I were hanging out in one of the larger fields with a forest on three sides. We were laying out under the stars, and all of us heard it at the same time. It was a loud, shrill screech, sounding like it was coming from very far away. I was reminded then that the further a skimwalker stays from you, the closer it really is. While the more it imitates sounds, the farther it is. We then formed a defensive circle with our flashlights on bright, scanning the field and tree line, looking for anything out of the ordinary. Yet we could locate absolutely nothing. It was tense for about a minute until our instructor and other students came towards our circle with their flashlights on, ready to play assassin. We were assigned our roles and began to play, entered the woods, and had a good time. Luckily, nothing really happened during the games and for the rest of our trip there, thank God. I need people to know that there are things out there that our kind can't even comprehend or explain. Please be careful when camping in the coastal forest of Oregon because there are things out there that will try to lure you into the woods, where you may never be found again. Ghost Stories Turn Out to Be All Too Real by Anonymous In 2009, I was interested in the paranormal, since I had many paranormal experiences growing up. I found a website that held ghost tours at the old Southwestern General Hospital. I was excited and ready to go on a ghost hunt. The group that held the ghost tour was named Ghost, or Ghost Hunters of South Texas. The group was professional, and they used many of the items that paranormal researchers used at the time. Before the tour, they showed us proof that they have captured in previous investigations while investigating the property. EVPs included a little boy saying, play with me please, and a woman with a southern accent responding to questions. The woman is said to be in an old time dress, and sometimes old time nurse attire. After the tour, the group said they were having openings for new members, and the new members would be tested and would be considered and maybe being part of the new team. 
I was quick to join and try out. I made the team. The team would have private group ghost hunts, so we would have the building to ourselves. The third floor was used as a hospice type of area. The building has four floors. The first, second, and fourth floor were left abandoned, and they look like a scene out of a horror movie. Hospital beds lay in rooms dusty and unused. Many had dates from 1995 and before. I even found a death log that had many names and dates. The most active areas were the fourth and second floor. The fourth floor had a baby nursery and many rooms that were once used for families that would be welcoming new babies. One EVP that was caught in that area was one of crying babies. At the time the EVP was caught, there were no babies in the building, and it was after midnight sometime when it was caught. Also on the fourth floor, there was a long hallway with empty patient rooms. In that hallway, shadows were always seen running or moving. The second floor was an old area. Also, many shadow figures were seen in this area. When doing research on the deaths in the building, I came up with what looked like to be a nurse who was crushed to death when a malfunction with the elevator happened years ago. During the time I was a part of this group, we investigated this building tons of times. I might even care to say maybe over a hundred. I also led ghost tours in the building with other members. I witnessed shadows, disembodied voices, screams, and one time heard a female humming a song only to find the room empty and dark. I've seen videos of doors opening on their own with no wind or people in the building. Also, the third floor had employees that would see things and hear things very often. Patients also complained of a kid running in their room or a man standing over their bed just looking at them, only to disappear. Over the years, I gained experience and loved what I did. As a group, we investigated many places such as schools, homes, and cemeteries in El Paso. We also got to investigate the old Asarco smelter before it was demolished several years later. I got to ghost hunt with people from Ghost Hunters and Ghost Hunters International. I met many celebrities and the group had them take their own personal ghost tours. It was fun and I grew a thick skin for fearing anything that goes bump in the dark. One of my favorite places to investigate was Southwestern General Hospital. I never believed in being followed home. One night after investigating, I was at my apartment eating on my couch and watching TV. I had my hallway light on near the front door that was visible from where I was sitting. Suddenly, from the corner of my eye, I saw a shadow of a person on the wall near the door. I turned and saw the shadow in full form. It was about six foot tall and completely black. Then, not even a second later, the shadow moved as if it was running down my hallway to my bedroom. I froze in horror thinking somebody was in my apartment. I got up and walked to my bedroom. Nobody was there. I searched the whole house up and down, and then I thought to myself, maybe I'm just going crazy. I soon went to bed a few minutes later. It was probably about 3.20 a.m. when I felt my bed shaking. I woke up to my sheets being pulled off me very slowly and deliberately. I tried to move, but I just could not. My sheets slid very slowly off me towards the floor. I could not move, and I started to hear growling in my right ear. From the corner of my eye, I could see something moving near my head on the right of me. It was on my pillow. I could only see from the peripheral vision that it had hair. It was hairy and brown. If I could compare it to something, 
I would say Chewbacca from Star Wars type hair. It was moving, very slowly, but obviously very deliberately. It was growling as well. My eyes started to water up with tears. I tried to move my arm, but I just couldn't. I could only move my fingers. The blanket was still being pulled off me little by little until it hit the floor and I was no longer covered by my sheet. I felt the hairy thing moving right next to me and the growling grew louder. Then suddenly, I was able to sit up and I turned and looked to see what was there next to me. The hairy thing was gone, but I could see the imprint of where it had sat right next to me just a moment ago. It was the size of a full-grown cat. Then I looked around the room to gather my sanity. I don't own a cat. My sheet was on the floor, and my eyes were still watery. I asked myself, maybe it was just sleep paralysis. I found it hard to sleep that night, since I lived alone in that apartment. The next day I had a girl over to my apartment. I was seeing her from school. I was playing PlayStation and she asked if she could take a nap in my bed. I said of course. She went to my bed and fell asleep. Around 20 minutes later, she suddenly came back to my living room in tears. She said, uh, I have to leave now. I asked her what was happening and what was wrong. What she said shocked me. She said that something shook the bed and woke her up. She could not move, and then something was growling and started getting close to her ear. Then the bed went down as if somebody lied down next to her. She tried to scream for me and could not. Then she felt as if somebody was breathing on her neck as the growling grew louder. She said it lasted about two minutes, and then she was finally able to move. Once she was able to move, she ran to me in the living room. After she explained this, I grabbed her stuff and helped her leave. I did not tell her what happened to me the night before, but I had that same exact experience. And what happened to her was enough proof that something was not right. I could not explain what was happening. First thing that came to mind that something probably followed me home from the hospital. After a few days, all the activity suddenly stopped. Only when I would go in on investigations, I would see shadows in my apartment, and then they would just go away. I loved what I did, and the only time I feared the paranormal was this moment. I no longer ghost hunt, and the group no longer gets together. Southwest General Hospital was purchased and is now remodeled and is in use. I can only imagine what the employees of the LTAC go through by being in that building. Every now and then I drive down Cotton and pass the building. I miss the days of being part of Ghost El Paso. If you are ever in El Paso after stopping by at Chico's Tacos, be sure to pass by the old building by the Star on the Mountain formerly known as Southwest General Hospital. I never believed by Anonymous. I would like to start by saying that while I am interested in the paranormal, I tend to be skeptical and prefer to think things out rationally before dismissing every little thing as a ghost or the like. This experience, however, has no logical explanation I can think of. I am new here, and as well, I apologize in advance if I'm not doing this correctly. So, let's get into this. I was 17 and it was mid-October, nearing Halloween. My family had gone to a small, rural town to meet up with some good friends. We were going to get dinner and catch up for old times' sake as my siblings and I had grown up with the children of the other families. After dinner, the parents stayed at the bar drinking, and those of us who were not of legal drinking age were starting to get a little bored. 
That is when one of my friends brought up the local cemetery. Apparently there is a cemetery in this town that is said to be haunted. I'm pretty positive that some ghost hunter paranormal type show did an episode about it or something, but the legends are said to have been around since before that. The story goes that a group of teenage boys were wandering into the graveyard one Halloween night with the intention of causing trouble and maybe stirring up some spooky ghost action in celebration of Halloween. After messing around for a while with no unexplained phenomena, they decided to sit in on top of the mausoleum, which is basically just a big tomb built up around a coffin instead of burying it in the ground. They were about to call it quits and head home when suddenly, unseen hands seemed to push one of the boys off the top of the tomb and into the ground. All the boys were obviously scared and hightailed it out of there, all of them feeling an eerie, ominous energy following them around for weeks after the incident. There have also been numerous reports of orbs, headstones inexplicably moving or disappearing altogether, ghostly apparitions, inscriptions being changed, flashes of light, strange noises, the whole works. I, of course, was more than excited to check it out. We arrived at the cemetery well after dark, and one of my girlfriends, we will call her Emma, and I were the only two brave ones enough to go in. We hopped right out of the car, careful to be as inconspicuous as we could since we did not want the police showing up and ruining our ghost hunting experience. We headed toward the entrance. It was chilly and a bit windy, as autumn in Wisconsin tends to be. We gripped each other's hands and started down the gravel path. As soon as we passed the fence that surrounded the plot of land, everything seemed to get very still and very quiet. We could not even hear the wind anymore which was strange as it had been breezy as we got out of the car. It was so silent that even whispering in our steps in the gravel seemed, pun absolutely not intended, loud enough to wake the dead. Though there were no lights in or near the cemetery, there was enough moonlight filtering through the clouds to allow us to see well. We soon realized we had no idea where the fabled haunted mausoleum was, but kept walking anyway. We made a random left turn, and lo and behold, there it was, about 30 yards or so in front of us. Surprisingly, we had great luck, right? I don't think so. As we approached, I began to feel almost an electric sort of energy in my fingers and hands, but I wrote this off as just nerves or something due to breaking the law. We reached the tomb, and this thing is absolutely huge. It was easily twice my height, at the very least and made of weathered gray stone with moss and lichen growing sparsely on it. We stare at it for a moment and Emma whispers, You should touch it. Being the big bad ghost hunter I am, I oblige. There is really nothing remarkable about the cool roughness of the stone, so I decide to take it a step further and hop up to sit up on the lip of the curved top of the thing. Again, nothing happens, so I jokingly whisper shout, If there's anyone here... Any spirits or anything, come on out. After listening in silence for a second or two, I think, F it, and make my way to the very top where the kid is rumored to have been pushed off by ghostly hands. I have Emma snap a photo or two of me before climbing back down. Slightly disappointed by the lack of spooky encounters, we agree to head out and are about to do just that when we see a pair of headlights slowly creeping down the road that borders one side of the graveyard. We immediately assumed someone noticed us and called the cops, so we crouched down behind some bushes with the mausoleum directly to our left, 
Both of us are completely silent except for our breathing as we watch the vehicle slowly make its way down the street. I am watching its taillights turn the corner when I hear a low, creepy, menacing laugh coming from right behind me. It sounded so strange, like it was a few feet away but also right in my ear at the same time. I'm freaked out, and I'm about to chalk it up to adrenaline-induced hallucination, when Emma, who is standing to my left, whispers, Hey, did you hear that? My blood ran cold, as I slowly nod a silent, Yes, I did. I cautiously turn my head to one direction, and try to see if I can hear it. I kid you not. I didn't hear anything, but what I did see was a dark figure stand up from behind one of the headstones not ten feet away from us. I scream bloody murder and somehow end up on the ground as the next thing I know, Emma is pulling at my arm, shouting, We have to run! We need to get out of here! Come on! I let her pull me to my feet and lead me blindly by the hand. We are full out sprinting, tripping over gravestones and plants and who knows what else in the dark. We cannot even find the exit in our panic. We finally reach a gap in the fence and I can feel the tears streaming down my face as I run for my life down the middle of the road, not even paying attention to the oncoming headlights until I nearly run into them. Luckily it was the car containing the rest of our friends and we rip the door open and throw ourselves inside screaming, Go! Go! Please just drive! Before we even bothered to sit in an actual seat or shut the door. I cannot for the life of me remember who was driving, but I think our panic and terror shook them enough that they did exactly what we asked of them and sped away back to the bar. They kept asking us what happened and if we were okay, but we would not calm down enough to answer them until we were back inside the bar and sat down. Still shaking and out of breath, we recounted our story to all of them, drunk parents included. I think a lot of them were skeptical, and honestly, I would have been too if I had not experienced it myself. In the weeks that followed, I felt the same eerie energy the boys in the legend describe hanging over my head. Personally, I attribute it more to paranoia after being scared out of my mind by something I could not actually see, but it made me feel uneasy nonetheless. It has been a few years since this happened and I still cannot think of a single, logical explanation for what actually happened that night. While I have no idea how credible anyone else's reported experiences on this show are, I know we were without a doubt the only people in that graveyard, or even on the streets for that matter, and we would have heard someone trying to sneak up on us. The sound of that laugh was so unnatural. I cannot get it out of my head. Even now, I have never been more scared than I was that night. And I now know what people mean when they talk about not being able to fully believe in the paranormal until you have experienced it firsthand. Anyway, I just thought I would share this experience with you. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to these creepy and allegedly true unexplained horror stories that'll freak you out tonight. If you enjoyed these stories, please be sure to slap that like button as it helps me out a ton. The more likes this episode gets, the more YouTube promotes it, and that helps us grow the swamp's ever-expanding waters. If you're listening to this on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, please be sure to give us a 5-star rating over there as it helps us grow on those platforms. If you're new to the swamp, why not join us? Be sure to subscribe and turn on notifications to never miss a new episode as I upload them damn near every single day, and all things natural and supernatural. If you have a story that you would like to share in a future episode, 
be sure to submit it at swampdweller.net or the email you can find in the description down below. I would love to share your story with everyone here in the swamp. You can also submit it via reddit at r slash thedarkswamp. If you're on the go, but don't have YouTube Premium, but still want to download and listen to your favorite Swamp Dweller scary stories no matter where you are, you can do it absolutely free from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and pretty much everywhere else you find your favorite podcast online. If you made it to the end, definitely let me know what story was your favorite tonight. It helps me pick better ones in the future. I love knowing which stories you like. Tonight's code word is Orange Veil. Once again, that's Orange Veil. The funniest comment will be pinned at the top. I love to see all the confusion it causes people when they don't listen to the end, and I appreciate you all so, so much. Don't forget to join me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and all the good social medias, and I'll see you all soon with another creepy episode.